It's the Locked On Flyers podcast for Monday, May 1st, your daily dose of Flyers news, analysis, and high quality content that is starting to get anxious about the draft lottery a week away. Mayday, Mayday, Mayday. <laughs> We're going to get into that uh, recap, the U18 tournament, plus it's Monday, so we'll have our nemesis of the week. Your Locked On Flyers, your daily podcast on the Philadelphia Flyers. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey there. Thanks for making us your first listen every day. I am Rachel Donner. You can find me on Twitter at rmiriam. I'm here with Russ Cohen, who's on Twitter at Sportsology. You can subscribe or follow us for free on YouTube or anywhere you listen to podcasts. You'll get our latest episode as soon as it's available here on the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Russ, uh, before we dig into some draft lottery talk and start that countdown, I want to check back in on the CHL playoffs. And we'd been tracking a few of the Flyers' prospects there. Uh, the Peets are playing the battalion in the OHL playoffs. We aren't too far into that series in the third round. Um, as of recording, we've only seen one game, but two games have been played. But J.R. Avon continues to be playing well, eight points in 11 games so far. And uh, again, Brian Zanetti is playing well. I do want to mention that um, he is signed to play next season with the SCL Tigers in Switzerland in their okay. league next season. And, um, you know, I think that could change, you know, with players signed to the European leagues, but I do expect him to still come to development camp um, and see what happens over the summer with him. But well, I it still depends when their camp is. That's the thing. I didn't know that he signed with them the last show. So now it depends on when their camp is. Yeah. So we'll, we'll see what happens with him, but I do think he's still on a very positive development trajectory. Oh, yeah. This is not and a bad thing. No, not at all. It's just a logistical thing about where he is in the next year, if he's over there yeah. versus in North America. But given that he's played OHL hockey, I'm less concerned about the transfer from European to North American right. hockey, right? So yeah, um, not worried there. And uh, Alex Gendron is still with Gatineau in the semifinals of the Q playoffs. Uh, they're facing Quebec. And uh, that series is underway. And, you know, like we said, um, it, it's a high scoring league. So we'll see what it's happens stupid, with it's him. It's stupid scoring. It is. Yeah. Yeah. But we will continue to track our prospects in the CHL as they continue, uh, maybe toward a Memorial Cup for one of them. Uh, we'll see. Yeah. I've been to a few Memorial Cups. They're fun. I mean, that's, yeah. that's a great thing yeah. to cover. Great thing to be at. Great thing to watch. It's awesome. Love it. I love the underdogs of the host teams that, yeah. you know, sometimes can surprise you. So they're always a good time. Uh, Want to talk a little bit about the draft lottery coming up. It is one week from today. I am starting to get uh, a little nervous about it. Uh, I'm trying not to go to Tankathon too much and hit that simulate. Uh, you can't help yourself, much. though. You can't. You can't. And, you know, if it takes me less than five or six 
clicks to get to the flyers moving up, I feel like that's a good day. <laughs> that's a, but it's a little sad too. It's it's a combination Listen, of both. A girl can dream about Connor Bedard. I get it. Or Adam Fantilli or whoever, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Or Carlson. We'll see what that turns out to be. I, I do want to talk about it though, because there are a lot of implications here. Uh, with the draft lottery a, a week away. And uh, I'm just wondering, Russ, in your opinion, I mean, who benefits the most in their current state? Like, what does Connor Bedard do for a team immediately? Like, who who has a chance, like, is going to take a huge jump just from getting him? I think if he went to Anaheim, you know, you would have maybe him, Zegris McTavish, or some some form mm-hmm. of that. So then you'd have a bona fide top line, which could be one of the five best lines in in hockey by the end of the season. He's he's going to add, you know, instant speed to your lineup. So you have to worry about that. The skill level's high, so he makes players around him better. He is a goal scorer too. So you have to, you know, appreciate that and know that at some point, you know, he'll get hot and that will happen too. Even if he doesn't, even if he just goes 50 points. He's a factor out there just because of his speed and his hockey IQ. So all those things matter. So like, yeah, if Anaheim gets him, you know, they already have a good goalie. That gives him a solid top line. You know, all of a sudden Byfield's healthier. All of a sudden they're not a lottery team anymore. Yeah, I, I agree. I think, you know, of the teams with a lesser percentage. Oh, Drysdale. Chance... I said Byfield. I meant Jamie Drysdale. <laughs> Sunday morning. <laughs> There you go. Uh, Of the lower percentage teams, I really think, you know, if Detroit were somehow to get him, that would have such an incredible impact and and move up the timeline. The rebuild would be over. Like it would just end the rebuild for Detroit. Like they wouldn't be able to, Steve Eisenman wouldn't be able to say anymore, well, a couple more, can't do it. Once you get Connor Bedard, you can't do it because he already got two linchpin defensemen, two big guys. He, they have Raymond. He'll play with Raymond. Like, that's it. It's over. Like, you know, start thinking about the playoffs. Yeah. And while you don't necessarily want, from our perspective, a team like the Capitals to get him, I think with the prospects in their system, they are an old team. Don't get me wrong. But I think that They're would a mixed kind team. Of, they have some old and yeah, some young. Like, this would sort of kickstart more of that transfer between the older guys and the younger guys and maybe move up that timeline a little bit more, and they'd be willing to part with some of the older guys faster, I would say. Yes, I I think some of that is true. I think um, you have him play with Ovechkin, and it probably would be a kick in in the pants for Ovechkin just for fun's sake. It's not like he can't play anymore, but he'll have to really keep up with them speed wise, and that would, you know do well for him as far as getting Gretzky's record if he can get it. So it would be big for the Capitals. Like, really, they already, you know, they they added Rasmus Sandin, who is going to help their power play, even if John Carlson is continues to break down. Sandin was a tremendous pickup for him. So, yeah, I think this could be uh, unbelievable for them. And, yes, Flyers fans would be very sad. There's no question. Yes, yes. I know. It's like – we would never in a million years say no to Connor Bedard. Like that's just ridiculous. You want him on your team, no matter what. I think timing wise, it's not really the best, but I I think. No, because the coach is going to have to, you know, make some, he's going to have to change some things 
with the way he coaches when he gets this kid, if he wants this kid to be super dynamic. So I think there is a point where, you know, John Tortorello would even have to look in the mirror and say, all right, I see the talent here and this could really benefit us greatly. But I'm going to have to tweak my uh, little plan here a little bit. Yeah, which again, not a bad thing. We'll no. take it in a million years. Of you uh, would. I just think it's it's just going to kind of upend the process a little yes. bit and create create a lot more work for everybody involved to figure out how to restructure the plan. Your whole perspective changes, yeah. and you know, then you are more willing to even trade a Travis Konechny at that point, perhaps. Exactly. So yeah, there's they definitely would change things. Do you think the second overall pick is one of the most difficult choices a team would have to make? in this draft? I mean, it is. I mean, I go back to the Patrick Kane, James Van Riemsdyk draft. I was there. Uh, we did a pregame show uh, for sportsology.com, my website. I did it with Shane Malloy. This is before Hockey Prospect Radio was a thing and before Sirius was a thing, I believe. Right, right, right around that timing. And we got booed when we talked about Patrick Kane going to the Blackhawks because Blackhawks fans didn't want a small player. They didn't say they wanted JVR necessarily, but they didn't want a small player. They didn't believe in the small player in that NHL. And so we were shocked that we got booed because, you know, I'd been out to London that year seeing Kane and, you know, and, and, and future Flyers goalie Steve Mason as well. He was on that team too. Mm -hmm. But, you know, you look at it and you say that was a tremendous drop-off from, from Kane to JVR. And it's not like JVR is a bad player, but he's just not a great player either. So the number two pick is hard that way. Um, again, I don't even want to go down the Nolan Patrick route because if he was healthy, he'd have been fine. He had yep. 10 goals in that one season with the Flyers. There's no reason to think he wasn't going to have 20, 25. So I, again, he had all kinds of other issues that really derailed his career. So I'm not, I'm not going to go down yeah. that road. So no, I, I agree. That's like a hindsight is 2020 yeah. situation. Yeah. But as far as, you know, now, now your toughest decision would have been Mitchkoff and Fantilli. It would have been because if Mitchkoff was a guy that you could get in the NHL in the next two years and you wouldn't have to worry about anything ancillary, you would say, hey, this is a tough decision now because Mitchkoff is that good. But is he as good as Fantilli? I still don't think so. But I know there are others that, that could make the argument. So, but that would be the the best case scenario. The Flyers aren't gonna if they got second, they're not even gonna think about Mitchkoff, right? So we're not even there. He's out of the conversation. There may be some of the European scouts that talk about Carlson because I did flip flop Carlson and Fantilli earlier in the year, and then it was just too much Fantilli late. Yeah. Where you know, as a young kid, even though Carlson's in the SHL doing great and really having a good playoffs too, um, there's just too many things, too many ways that. Fantilli can beat you uh, or have impact on the game. And that's what eventually steered me back to him. So this time it would be a no brainer for the Flyers. There would be really almost no discussion. I think so too. All right. Well, there's more prospects to talk about as we wrap up the U18 World Tournament coming up next. Today's episode is brought to you by AG1 by Athletic Greens. Keeping up with proper nutrition is really hard. You're busy, you're stuck at your desk, you're eating whenever you can just to make it through the day. But what if you could start your day with the ultimate daily nutritional insurance? With a single scoop of AG1 and a glass of water, you could do just that and absorb 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, 
whole food source, superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens to help you start your day right. Athletic Greens was created when the founder experienced a ton of gut health issues and ended up on a complicated supplement routine to recover. It cost him $100 a day, which just isn't sustainable. He created Athletic Greens after experiencing how difficult it was to create an optimal nutrition routine on your own, all for around just $3 a day. Right now, it's time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash NHL Network. Again, that's athleticgreens.com slash NHL Network to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. All right, before we dig in to U18s, tomorrow on the show, everyday listeners will get to hear from Sam Wismer of Flyers Nitty Gritty and the American Buttes podcast as we wrap up the Phantoms season. Russ, for U18s this year, man, USA winning that gold medal in comeback fashion after a bronze medal game that also went to overtime. What a tournament. Yeah, it was a great tournament. I mean, the U.S. team took a little while to get going. I mean, they just, they were getting stymied and some great goaltending by Sweden. And it just looked, didn't look great for a while. It didn't. And then um, then they started to figure it out a bit. But but that was the thing. As it got deeper into the tournament, their their top line became less effective. Because they were keying against it, and then other players had to to step up, and they did, and and that's why they ultimately won. I think because, the, you know, they got there on the strength of their top line, but I really think it was some of the other talent that pulled it through. Yeah, I also think that Sweden was uniquely structured to be able to stop a team like the U.S. and that top line. You, we saw what they could do against Team Canada in both their opening you know, blowout as well as the semifinal matchup where Sweden won seven to two. And I, I think, I just think that the defensive strategy of that Swedish team was so effective a- against just about anybody out there. It was, I mean, you know, they have um, Tom Wallander and, and they had Sandine Pelica. Those are two terrific yeah. men that to me, both first rounders, Sandine Pelica could be top 10, maybe just outside of it. And you have those two guys. And so, yeah, it's hard to penetrate. You know, Otto Stenberg right now is a kind of a guy that's really physically mature for his age right now. And so he's able to hold off guys, too. So, you know, you start putting that together and and then you realize, yeah, you know, Sweden did have some size. They had some good defense. They had great goaltending, which we'll talk about. And that makes a big difference. So it was hard. It was not an easy game. We always have to say, listen, Russia wasn't in this tournament. So some of the point totals would be lower for for some of the scorers, for sure. But, you know, you can only beat who's there. So it was a great win. Yeah, I want to talk about the bronze medal game a little bit as well. Uh, Canada over Slovakia, four to three in overtime. Man, I felt so bad for Slovakia in that one. I just felt like the tournament that they had put together to walk away with no medals was just a, a tough blow. But at you know, and especially with how Dvorsky just kind of carried that team on his shoulders. Um, but, you know, you look at the resiliency of that Canadian team as well. 
you know, we talked about Matthew Wood last week. He scored the game tying goal with a minute 10 left. And then uh, Macklin Celebrini, who's been, you know, playing really well over the last couple of weeks, scored that overtime winner. Uh, but it, it was an incredibly fast-paced game, especially in that over overtime. Lots of back and forth. And I do think that uh, Team Canada learned a lot from this tournament, uh, having to kind of almost fight back to get a medal in this one. And um, I think it, it bodes well for some of the younger talent that may be 2024 draft eligible. Yeah, it was a struggle for them. Um, you know, Celebrini right now is definitely the number one pick for next year. We'll see. If that changes, because, you know, Iserman could have something to say about that. So there'll be a little bit of a battle there. Uh, I wouldn't say who's the guy yet, except Celebrini right now is definitely the one everybody's thinking about. Uh, you know, Canada's goaltending was fine. They, you know, they put back Car Colby Barlow back in. That was a good move because he's got a hell of a shot, man. And so that's that's another guy. And he has a better mustache and beard than I did at the age of 18. I can do anything <laughs> to like 22. I oh, I know. It's crazy. I keep, I keep looking at him and I'm like, that man is 30. I know. Like, there's no way. I know. It's, it's crazy. And he's, he's a good kid. I've interviewed him, put up an article on Elite Prospects for him and very talented guy. But um, Canada just, you know, again, they were getting stymied a little bit. Uh, it was one of those situations where Slovakia was playing very defensive, but you know, Dvorsky was definitely having something to say about that game. Wood's goal was the big one. It really was because he just kind of stepped up, went to the net on his own. Again, he just turned 18. Like, this guy does have a lot of talent. There's a lot of things to work on, too, though, with Matthew Wood. So it's an interesting – he's another interesting one in this draft. And that's why um, this draft will be talked about for years because there's a lot of guys that are like – not fully developed that will take a little longer than others, but still could go in a, in a, in a first round pick and you might have to wait on them. And it could be like yeah. that way where all of a sudden these guys start when they start turning 21, 22, 23, you start seeing them in the league and you're like, wow, this, this thing really filled in. That's, that's the way this, these players were. And that game was very exciting. It didn't look good for Canada for a while. It really didn't. Yeah. Looking at the tournament overall, uh, Will Smith, although, you know, he didn't score in that gold medal game, wound up with 20 points in the tournament, which was top. And his top line that was so dominant throughout the course of the tournament finished with 55 points total, including uh, Ryan Leonard, who got that overtime winner yeah. for the gold medal. And, you know, of course, with a goal like that in a tournament like this, you know, people start saying, oh, does that move him up? And, you know, we have to keep reminding ourselves that one goal, one game does not make a ranking or right. a long term outlook. But uh, if he's there in the seven to nine range and that's where the Flyers wind up, is, is he a guy that, that the Flyers will just bite? Oh, I, I mean, he, it, it's very possible. The thing is, like, I just question, like, if I just look at my own list, like, where is he going to move up? Um, Quentin Musty's not there, but if you go watch Quentin Musty, it's like he's he's like a bigger version of Ryan Leonard. So is he really going to overtake him? Mm. Is he going to overtake Oliver Moore? Mm. Is he going to overtake Dvorsky? Mm. Is he over? Is he going to overtake Will Smith? Like, who's he? who's he going to replace? To be in that spot now, 
that's just for rankings. Again, if a team falls in love with a player, they decide they want them. They're just, they're just going to right. So they don't care where they're ranked, and and that possibility exists. Right. I do wonder with you know making the assumption that Danny Breer is the guy who's going to be managing this draft process. Uh, you know, looking at nationality like he might be less likely to be honed in on u.s development program players than chuck fletcher was. no nah, not with brent there brent brent still gonna you think yeah because that's his background that's his nature so he's still going to steer him towards some of those guys now danny may have his own ideas but the idea is this we you know again he was only at the draft table once and even though he has final say this is a dangerous spot for a new gm to be in because uh if he's going to overrule something that Brent does, he better be right because that, yeah. that's something that could haunt you for, for many, many years. So he may not, he may just sit back and let Brent do his thing. And that's probably what's going to happen. Uh, a couple other guys that could still be there that had good tournaments, Otto Stenberg that we mentioned, Dalibor Dvorsky, who we mentioned, you know, along with Leonard, they could all be available when the flyers are, are ready to pick. Well, there's no doubt. Stenberg will be just because he had this massive tournament and I and it was good for me to see him again because I saw him in the five nations now seeing him at the end of the year like this besides some things during the year uh while he dominates these tournament levels he's not dominating everywhere and so there there is a little bit of concern in his game where hey he really gets up for these tournaments it's great he's more physically mature than these kids that's good but like for strength, has he reached his ceiling? Probably not, but he's close. So there's some, there's a few things that he may have reached his ceiling for, and I think other scouts may feel that way too. And so while he may trickle up my list a little bit, he's not going to get in the top 20. And it's not because he's not a really good player. It's because this is a really good draft, and, and right. that's really the issue. Yeah. Any other skaters that you think increase their stock? Yeah. So uh, David Edstrom. The big center for uh, Sweden, no question, improved his stock. Uh, maybe he gets in the bottom of the first round now, somewhere in that last five picks. I think that's very possible. Uh, Willander, Tom Willander, who I mentioned, I got to really see him early on and, and, and knew he was really good. He's still, like on my list, he's 39. He's probably going to move up. Uh, at this point, he might move into the first round. It'll be tight. But he'll get really close to that. If not, he'll be gone early second. You know, Matthew Wood, it's it's really hard to say because, you know, like I said, he's not going to be like where Central Scouting has him fourth overall, which maybe puts him in like the top 11. I still, I still feel pretty good about him at 20 because he's got skating issues. He's He's got a few things that he has to work on, even though um, he's got all this offensive talent. You have to still project somebody and say, can he do that there? And that's that's going to be the hard part. So, you know, Wood, I think, for some will be moving up because I don't think they were sort of looking at him the right way or looking at him, you know, as much. And then Danny Nelson, he's he's scoring these clutch goals, and he's a big guy, a big guy who can play center or wing. I did get to see a lot of him this year, so I have him at 35. Um, It'll still be a battle if if I can get him into the first round. I don't know if he will or not, but I think as far as being picked, uh, I think there's a chance he can be in, in the lower part of the first round because you could see that 
big kid like that who can get to the net, who plays really well defensively already, there's value there. So if he doesn't go, you know, end of the first, he's going to go right early part of the second where, you know, you look at, you'll be looking at some of those like their first rounder. So I think he really, but he scored at least two big clutch goals for the U.S. I want to talk real quickly about the goaltending in the tournament because, you know, for Team USA, Trey Augustine, we've seen him before in international tournaments. He played on the World Juniors squad. Um, and uh, he's he's good, but still kind of makes me nervous in that. No, listen. And, and I felt like he made some significant progress over the past year or so. Um, he's still not there yet for me. But I do think that he's gotten a little better. He has. Because earlier in the year, uh, there were some other goalies in the U.S. system I liked better. I saw Augustine at least three, four times live. And always was good, never was great. He was borderline great for certain games in this tournament. Uh, You do say, hey, he's like, what, six in between six and six one. That's that's not ideal for the NHL. He certainly could make it. But that's something where you have to look at that. Yeah, I thought Augustine did himself well, but I don't think he's going to get picked any differently. I think Noah yeah. Erl- Erlinden, who I thought was the best goalie in the tournament, I forget that he absolutely he get voted best goalie, I believe. Um, yeah, yeah, he by far is is going to have that Swedish goalie mystique. So does that make him first off the board? I don't know. And, you know, and again, the problem with, with Erlevin is he's 5'11". So I still think at the end of the day, my guess is Haravel comes off the board first compared to all of them. But also the um, the Canadian goalie is very good, too. Yeah. Um, also, I think Samuel Urban from Slovakia is a very good goaltender. Mm-hmm. Um, he had some spotty defense in front of him. But at the same time, there were a couple of key saves I thought he could have made as well so we'll be curious to see what happens with him i will say this but forex to say i mean it's hard for us because goaltending is the really the hardest thing to figure out it is like i said i've yeah. seen more of augustine than i've seen of anybody else and i still feel like i have more questions than answers um but at the end of the end of the day i think you have to look at it and say this draft has a lot of goalies like it just does and and I think we can't tell right now if any of them are going to be a superstar. You never could. That's always hard to tell. Like Marc-Andre Fleury was obvious. There's not a lot of obvious guys here, but there's a lot of obvious ones that seem like they can play in the NHL. So I'd say there's four to six. And based on that, I think it's a good goaltending draft. All right. We are going to wrap up today's episode with our nemesis of the week uh, that may involve checking in on the wild world of the Stanley Cup playoffs coming up next. Russ, uh, when we talked about our nemesis last week, and uh, if you're newer to the program, each and every Monday, we look at the world of hockey and say, you know, who or what is our nemesis? What's getting our goat? We talked last week about uh, overtime hockey stress uh, in the playoffs. And, you know, it really gets to me every single time. And this week was no different as round one is almost over as of today's episode. And man, I 
I am actually really glad we were recording this a little bit later than we usually would because we get to talk about the upset of the Florida Panthers over the Boston Bruins, which I feel like karmically balances out the Leafs winning over the Lightning. But uh, yeah, I saw that. What was your take on that? I, I kind of disagree. Uh, I'm not disagree. I kind of agree. I think it um it really did sort of balance it out and. But also, you know, the abs lost, even though they've had a lot of yeah. things going on with them. Yeah. The Michigan thing is not great. And um, that's injury still, suspension. Yeah. That still is like one of those where it's like, how did that turn out that way? And that's no slight to Seattle. I think they did play it right. But you also could tell like Seattle was just trying to hold them off at the end. Like, you know, you could, you know, the abs are the better team still. But with everything that went on, they they were weakened and and it certainly Seattle got their first ever uh, win in the playoffs you know for a round and that's a big deal and Grubauer I loved him years ago and then he stuck with it I, I give him credit I've kind of given up on him at times so again it was a really big win for him too and but my nemesis do I get am I ready to go yet No I well I want to talk a little bit more about what boston did or did not do there against florida because putting uh, jeremy swayman in for game seven and then just completely i think falling apart in especially the latter part of that game allowing that game tying goal and then the overtime winner they were just discombobulated and to see that team uh go uh, up against a you know, ostensibly weaker team and just collapse like that. It's just extraordinary. One of the biggest, I think, collapses in NHL history in the playoffs. Yeah, I mean, they were up big in that series. I think it was a slow burn as far as um, Montgomery sort of getting out coached by Paul Maurice and and Matthew Kachuk just really being the best player on both teams. Like that, those two things were massive factors. Bob was sort of like up and down, but steady enough. They, you know, the one thing, and, and Sam Bennett was like on rocket fuel in that last game. Like, Sam, that's the best I've ever seen Sam Bennett play. And Sam Bennett was a hell of a junior player and then went through all this stuff. And yeah. really nice to see him um, do so well. So it's one of those where you knew Florida could score and Boston just, in the end, couldn't keep up with them. And I don't blame Swayman. I would have made the move too. I just, Omar gave up way too many goals. But yeah. Still, there was, you know, something that was went wrong in that. Well, we've got one game seven left tonight, Rangers versus Devils, and then we'll be uh, on to round two. Yeah, and, but my other nemesis is TNT did not stick with uh, Patrice Bergeron long enough. He was um, he was going through the line with his players, and he stopped at Marshan, and they showed about two seconds of them hugging, but they should have stayed longer because, um, you know, we're never going to see him again, I don't think. And so... That's one where you could get to the abs game 40 seconds later and nobody's going to care, but you really could have captured the moment with Bergeron and they, they kind of blew it. I want to add to my nemesis and talk about the deserving versus not deserving and the Leafs discourse about, you know, Leafs fans being absolutely exuberant. They finally made it out of the first round. Yeah. The long international nightmare is over for them. And then other fans being disappointed that, you know, we, we can't bring this up anymore year after year. And I think both viewpoints are valid. No, both like, are valid. Narrative, but... 
I, I'm happy that they're able to move on from that. Yeah. I mean, guys yeah. I think you can, you can be on both sides of that fence and it's okay. I think it's okay to be disappointed that you can't make fun of the Leafs anymore because that's been part of hockey for a while. Yeah. And you know, it's been like enjoyable for non Leafs fans and for Leafs fans. I think it's great that they're happy and I'm happy for them. And like, I think there's room for both is what I'm saying is that you don't have to pick sides here. It saved Kyle Dubas's job. It did save a lot of turmoil that would have happened. I think yeah. the organization, uh, it keeps the core together longer, maybe gets Matthews that new contract there. All those things happen now because they moved on. Now, in the real world, they're only in the second round. And they've got a group together, band together, and now actually beat Florida, who is red hot. So, you know, the real world has stepped in and out. Just Most teams getting past the first round wouldn't be this happy. But they were for obvious reasons because of you know what seemed like a curse. But you got to now you got to win the second round. They don't win the second round, then that'll be the new thing. Right. <laughs> okay. Uh, we're gonna wrap up the show with our Flyers fun thing highlights from the U eighteen gold medal game. If you missed it, we'll put that link in the show notes. That will do it for today's show. Everyday listeners, tomorrow on the show, we will be bringing in Sam Wismer to wrap up the Phantom season. Uh, an incredible conversation yeah. where we learned some new things, I think, oh, yeah. about the team that we will share with you. Uh, if you have mailbag questions for us to answer on Wednesday's show, you can tweet us at Lockdown Flyers, email us at lockdownflyers at gmail, or comment over on YouTube. I'm Rachel. I'm on Twitter at rmiriam. That's R-M-I-R-I-A-M. I'm Russ. I'm at Sportsology, S-P-O-R-T-S-O-L-O-G-Y. Have a great day, everyone.